Welcome to another episode of Branding for Believers, the podcast that equips entrepreneurs and influencers with the tools, the confidence, and most importantly, the faith to believe bigger in their dreams. Our wealth series continues with a heavy hitter today, Miss Tanya Rapley of MyFab Finance. And if that name sounds familiar to you, she has been gracing the covers of magazines, Black Enterprise. Her brand is all over BuzzFeed and Essence and The Root, and her Afro is fabulous. I kind of have like a little bit of a hair crush. And so if you don't, if you don't know her by now, you better ask somebody. Um, she is Miss Tanya Rapley of MyFab Finance. And Tanya prides herself on being relatable, realistic, savvy, fabulous. And she's a certified financial educator. And she's been where many of us have been. You know, she has improved her credit by 130 points in as little as 18 months. She's grown her investment portfolio and savings. And she is known as one of the top influencers and wealth builders for her generation. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for that fantastic introduction. (laughs) So Tanya, please do tell us a little bit more about yourself in terms of of what brought you to this journey of becoming the face of, of millennial wealth building and investing. Um, one could say struggle. I mean, in all honesty, I did not grow up with, you know, parents who were, um, I won't say financially literate. My parents were financially literate, financially literate, but I mean, my parents were military, both my mother and father were career, career military. There's a certain amount of stability that you have. And so you don't worry about the things that, you know, working class families or individuals who might not have that same stability worry about. And that influenced how they taught me about money, um, money management, some of the things that they dealt with. Like my parents' retirement, they are good. They didn't have to worry about putting money aside for retirement. And so I came from a background where I had to figure it out. I made a lot of mistakes. I struggled with math throughout high school and college, and I kind of used that as a reason for me not to be financially responsible. And I'm like, I'm broke because I hate math. Like, me and math mm. just don't get together. And so I'm just going to spend my money how I want to spend it. And I initially, I was my first client. I started my fat finance to be my accountability partner as I got my life together. I uh, also was in a financially abusive relationship and during college. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I have I had so much financial baggage to deal with that I just didn't have the energy or care to deal with in my early 20s. So when I hit 27, 27, 28, I decided I am not going into my 30s like this. Mm-hmm. And that's when my five finances started. And I decided to change my story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Two things, uh, listeners, that I want to pull out of Tanya's story. One is this limiting belief, because like Tanya, I also had this limiting belief. I always used to tell people, I'm like, oh, me and math got a divorce back in ninth grade. You know, it was <laughs> we were plotting X and Y coordinates on the graph and they were talking about rise over run. And it was kind of like that, that Charlie Brown peanuts moment, like wah, 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 you wah, gave wah. me anxiety talking about that. Yes. Girl, yes. <laughs> and so, you know, it was just it, it didn't connect for me. And so ever since then, I had a real struggle with math. And I just used to tell myself, I'm not good with numbers. I'm not good with numbers. And that was my excuse for, you know, allowing debt to pile up and making some terrible financial decisions. And so one thing, listeners, that I want you guys to pull out of that is, you know, we talk a lot in this show about the the power 
in the tongue and what you speak into your life. And so if you are going around saying things like, I'm broke, I'm bad with money, I hate math, you know, me and numbers just don't get along. And that's reflecting in your finances. Take a minute and and look at the causality of of that relationship. The second thing that I want to pull out of what you said is this notion of financial abuse, because this is something that Kerry Washington has spoken out publicly about, about this notion of being in financially abusive relationships. So can you tell our listeners kind of exactly what that is and what they need to look for in case they might find themselves there? Yeah, I'm so happy that Carrie Washington is using her platform to address it. She's doing amazing work with the Purple Purse Foundation over at Allstate. Uh, So financial abuse manifests itself differently uh, and in a variety of ways. No two situations will necessarily be identical. Uh, I'm familiar with more uh, relationships or the experiences because I sit on the board for a nonprofit um, that helps survivors of domestic violence. And it's just something I'm passionate about. I was, it was part of my life for a while. And so the most common form of financial abuse is preventing the, um, the victim from accessing their own money, pre- preventing the victim from making financial decisions, mm-hmm. um, limiting their moves or their opportunities based on their finances. So um, giving them an allowance or, you know, they go out and make all the money or make money and then they have to bring it back to their husband. Their husband will distribute a certain amount that they can use um, the allowance. Some of it is limiting your income earning opportunities. So um, intentionally sabotaging your employment, intentionally mm-hmm. doing things to get you removed from your job. Uh, intentionally uh, affecting your learning opportunity or your educational opportunity. So one instance that I often talk about is there was a woman and she was finishing her master's thesis and her abuser destroyed her thesis (gasps) and destroyed it electronically and physically. Oh my God. After working on it for all that time. Wow. And so that's another example Um, In my particular situation, it was reversed. It wasn't that he was managing my money. It was that everything that he was, he had made a decision that he was not going to work and everything that I earned went to supporting us because my Mm. parents raised me to take care of my financial obligations. I was the only one paying the rent. I was the only one paying the cable. I was the only one paying electricity, paying a car payment, paying insurance. And I was to the point where I was so financially tapped out. I didn't have money to leave. So when he would Mm. abuse me or whatever, I didn't have the money to run away because all my money was going into maintaining our existence as it was. And one more example that I'll um, give a lot of women don't realize that this or men and women, people don't realize that this is an example of financial abuse is not allowing you to earn assets or any of the Mm. assets that you share in your name. So the house, both of you pay the mortgage, but it's not necessarily because of credit that you're not on the mortgage or the deed. It's because they're not allowing you to have access to that asset. And so, you know, if they want to sell the house, they don't have to speak to you about it. They can go ahead and do it and sell it from underneath you. Um, And so those are just a few examples. And you know what, listeners, I know that some of you right now, that is, it's very visceral. It's very um, kind of gut wrenching to hear that because I know that some of you either are there or you've been there. As she was talking, I said, oh, me and her might be cousins because I have (laughs) I have been in that situation where I was the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker trying to keep the household afloat, you know, while somebody just kind of pretty much sat up and and rode the gravy train. So Mm -hmm. financial abuse Mm -hmm. is not something that we talk about. 
And and domestic abuse in general is not something that, you know, we like to talk about because it's nothing that anybody really wants to see. We like to hide it and pretend like it doesn't happen, but it does happen and it is happening. And if you find yourself or know someone who's in that situation, there is advocacy. There are ways. So, Tanya, if you could just uh, give one or two resources for people who might be struggling in that situation where they can find help. Yeah, I mean, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is a great resource. I often tell people, you know, if you are looking up resources or looking, if you are in an abusive relationship, you know your relationship. And sometimes it is not safe for to use the technology that you have to look up help. So um, you might need to go to a library or something like that if you want to do research. You never know if your phone's being tracked. You never know, you know, if your computer's being tracked. But the National Domestic Violence Hotline is a resource. And every single state, has a um, agency or a bureau or a department that serves survivors. Mm -hmm. Um, Most counties do. So, you know, reach out to them, um, find, find what, find out what resources are near you. Uh, And just be smart if you are not saying you're not smart, but just be cautious. I'd rather say be cautious because uh, abusers are extremely manipulative and they might be tracking things that you don't know that they're tracking. So um, cover your tracks. Exactly. Manipulative, controlling. And here's the thing about it, and which is what I, I so love. I wasn't expecting this listener. So I'm just like extremely grateful that this came out in our conversation is that You know, my background, so listeners, I haven't shared this, but I grew up in an abusive household. And Mm -hmm. when I went to college, I also did an internship to support domestic, um, domestically abused women and children. And so often we tend to think that if it's not physical abuse, Mm -hmm. if I'm not getting beat up, if I'm not getting choked, if I'm not getting pushed, then it's not abuse. But, you know, there are many ways to abuse people emotionally, spiritually, mentally. You can just break people down and find finances, you know, finance, money, wealth is a tool of liberation because when you have money, you have options. And so yeah. if you have someone in your life that's limiting those options. Don't turn a blind eye to it. So uh, Tanya, thank you so much for bringing that forward. Oh, absolutely. And also I do want to touch base, you know, that people there, and I guess this is kind of turning into a DV conversation, right. but um, <laughs> that, you know, just because you fight back, some people say, well, I fought back, you know, so it's not abuse, but abuse is a continued use of power, Um, or any type of tactic to retain power and control over another person. So you may fight back, but if you are forced to fight back consistently, that's abuse. Like they're putting you in a position where you have to defend yourself on a regular basis. So it's not mutual abuse. It is, you know, a lot of people just have that misconception of what we, we, we fight together. And it's like, no. No, no, no. No, Thank you so much for for making that clarification. And speaking of, you know, a crippling situation, being in debt is crippling, right? Mm -hmm. Being in debt is very crippling. And so you are very passionate about speaking, you know, on the logistics and the, the detriment of living paycheck to paycheck. So if you can just speak to our listeners a little bit, what exactly is living paycheck to paycheck? And what are some of the most common money mistakes that you see that put people in that situation? It's funny because when I talk about this, people are like, no, I know. I know. You don't have to tell me I'm living for a check because I see my bank account and I feel it. I feel the pressure. But then there are some people who are, they feel like because, you know, they make the minimum payments of a credit card 
or they're not suffering just yet that they aren't paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. But paycheck to paycheck is you don't have a substantial or a decent amount of money in savings. Mm -hmm. So if you were to lose your job, you don't have enough money to cover your your basic overhead um, or your needs. Uh, Another example is you don't pay off your credit cards at the end of every cycle. So it exemplifies that you are relying on credit cards to make up the difference between what you can afford and what you are spending. Uh, And another one is that you're consistently living above your overhead or above your means. And so you're using credit cards or whatever it may be, you're borrowing money, but your overhead is outpacing your income um, or the money that you're bringing into the household. So those are three indicators. I think the, the primary indicator, though, is not having savings. And it's so important to have savings. People often ask, me whether or not they should prioritize saving or paying off debt and absolutely saving because once you pay off your debt you know you can go back and use those credit cards but they're not going to give you your money back you know say you pay off a credit card tomorrow and then you lose your job the next day you can't call and say hey can I get a refund on that payment because (laughs) I'm gonna need that back can you You can't do that you can't do that so it's important to make sure that you have a substantial amount of money and saving and I would say as far as a tip uh, for breaking that cycle I have a few tips for breaking the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck the first one is become part of a community of other other individuals who are seeking to do the same thing. I learned the power of community recently when I created the Banish the Balance Challenge, which is my first ever community building um, activity, challenge activity for my fat finance. But I was able to bring together 4,000 people and collectively they paid off over $200,000 worth of debt in 60 days. Love it. And that, you know, just having the community going into the forum, we do it on Facebook, going into that forum on a daily basis and seeing other people say, hey, I paid off my Macy's card. Hey, I paid off my payday loan. I paid off this, you know, and other people celebrating it with them. We've created a culture of financial responsibility where struggling is not the norm. You know, it being triumphant is the norm within that community. And so becoming a part of community so others can support you and provide you with resources as you work to obtain your goals is important. And then really sitting down and being honest and getting an idea of your entire picture. So like I said, some people don't know that they are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. Sit down and pull together your financial picture, you know, write down all the debts you have, write down what your income is, write down what all your expenses are, write down what you have in savings. And those numbers are so telling. They will let you know if you need to start working on digging yourself out of this paycheck to paycheck trap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's what's really powerful about what you said, two things. One, becoming a part of a community. I know my people. I know my people and I know somebody heard that and immediately said, I want everybody in my business. Look, we all man. Listen, (laughs) man, listen, you know, the Bible says that pride goes before destruction. Mm. And so some of us are suffering in silence, you know, rather than doing it. It's, it's really about how you frame that narrative. You can either look at it as I'm letting people into my business, or you can look at it as just like Tanya said, we're building a culture of financial responsibility. Our transparency is allowing us to celebrate one another and encourage one another and be like, look, girl, put them shoes back in DSW because that $40 can be going towards such and such. And truth be told, you know, that sort of, 
doing it on our own and going it alone. That's what has gotten many of us into the situations, you know, that we we find ourselves in living paycheck to paycheck. So I love that you talked about building community. So, you know, get your get your guy friends, get your girlfriends together and come together and say, let's do this. You know, let's be debt free. Why not you? You know, so why not turn it into an empowering narrative? And the other part. Go ahead. Oh, I just want to add to that, you know, about being in, you know, someone's business. We're not sharing each other's financial state, our financial statements in the group. You tell people what you want them to know. You know what I'm saying? So right. it, it definitely is. And, you know, I guess some people be like, well, I'm part of the group. So it indicates that I'm having financial struggles. It's a private group. So people can't really see the members or anything in there. But as you said, pride is a downfall of all great men. Mm-hmm. And you have to decide whether you're going to your pride is going to affect your children and your your grandchildren or if you're going to get over it and do what you need to do to make sure that everyone else in your life is also secure. And I know that sometimes here's what we tell ourselves. I got a college degree. I, I got a job. I shouldn't be here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get it. You know, but the thing is, is that you cannot manage what you don't measure. You cannot address it until you're willing to face it. And so Tanya is absolutely right. You have to sit down, look at the picture and see what those numbers are telling you. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about those things that hurt your credit score, because this is another big fallback for our listeners is that, you know, even if they have some liquid assets, their credit is not the best. So what strategies do you have for rebuilding that credit score? Well, the first thing I think that needs to be discussed during this portion is an understanding that you can fix your credit yourself. Mm. There are a lot lot of people out there who provide credit restoration and credit rebuilding services. And there are legitimate individuals out there. Um, My good friend, Dominique Brown of Your Finance at Simplified does great work. And I recommend my clients to him who don't want to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. But I started my journey by improving my credit score by 130 points in 18 months. And I did it myself, namely because I was too cheap to pay someone. But I, I, I was able to accomplish it. And one of the most important things I did was I understood how credit works. Credit, while there are, is an algorithm. So, you know, there are just several things that factor into your score that we might not understand or why certain things are weighted in the same, in the manner that they are. Mm -hmm. But there are certain pieces of your credit score that you can not necessarily, um, Not necessarily finagle, but when you understand that your payment history accounts for 30, 35% of your credit score, when you understand that your utilization is just as important as your payment history, that is major because a lot of people, the big mistake I'm seeing a lot of people make is they say, I pay my credit credit cards or my loans on time every single month, but your credit card is maxed out month to month to month to month to month, and you Mm. are penalized for that, and it impacts your credit score. First thing people should do is get their, if they have any open credit cards, get their utilization down to 30%. If you're ignoring any creditors or ignoring, you know, any potential items that might be reported to your credit, do not allow things to go to your credit report. Once things get on your credit report, they are there and paying them off will not improve your credit score. Mm. So the most important thing is keeping things off. Now having it removed could improve your credit score, but paying it off won't improve your credit score. So working, you're doing what you can do to prevent items from going to your credit and uh, establishing communication with your creditors early or even later, just before it gets to that point where they're like, you know what, we have no other option but to report it to your credit report. And then the other is understanding that it does take credit to build credit. If you have an open auto loan, if you have student loans, 
if you have anything else, you can use that as long as you keep that in positive standings to build your credit. But just be very cautious. And one of my favorite sites when I was repairing my credit was Mm -hmm. myfico.com. They have excellent forums. So I would peruse those forums and just see what was working for other people and how they improve their score. And then part of the communities, um, going into communities and asking questions. I love when I see someone ask a question about, hey, should I close this account out since I paid it? So and so and so. How's it going to affect my credit? Or I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think the implications will be about my credit? Ask questions in these communities because people do have answers. Listeners, I'm telling you, you all are getting a clinic right now, free of charge. <laughs> this one, I'm trying to tell you, you know, there really is is just no excuse the thing is is that a lot of it and this is why I brought this forum for because a lot of it is psychological mm-hmm. a lot of it is psychological you know and the underlying theme and everything that Tanya is saying is that you have to be intentional about it you have to look at it you can't let it you can't let it get away from you you have to be in control of your finances otherwise your fan finances are going to control you and something that she said which is very key so I want to make sure that you guys didn't miss it in case you guys were taking notes she said that paying off the debt is not going to improve your credit score and I know that some people right now are like once I pay this off I'll be good no <laughs> once and I, I do pay- want I, I want to clarify paying off the debt if it's already in collections That's because right. if it's open if it's still an open account then it does help your credit score but if it's been closed by the creditor and it's in collections it's not going to help your score exactly and talk a little bit about the collection agencies because some people do get those calls <sighs> yeah uh, I actually have a blog post <laughs> about when a collection agency a collection agent she made me cry and you know I was down at my lowest and she just kicked me all around on the ground it's like why you know you knew you didn't have the money to pay for this so and so and so and it was Ooh. it was traumatizing I did not answer any more calls after that um, so they can't do that. That is illegal. And there are certain tactics and it is important to understand um, what tactics are illegal. But, you know, calling you at your job, calling you repeatedly, calling you after 8 p.m., they cannot do that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as collection agencies go, it is important to know that you can make a settlement offer with most of them. At the end of the day, they want money. They bought your debt and a collection agency um, bought your debt from the original creditor or been hired by the original creditor to collect. And it's one of those buying agencies, chances are they bought your debt for 50 to 75% less than what your actual debt is. So you have a lot more room to strike a settlement with them. And it will be reported on your credit report as paid for less than the balance or um, settled or whatever it may be. But it does look good when you have a human who is looking at your credit report and reviewing it and they see that, you know what, this was in collections, but they made good on it. So while it won't affect your credit report, it still looks good if you're making good on outstanding debts and, you know, trying to clear your name in that manner. But I recommend, you know, if any if a collection company calls first in that validation letter, one of Dominique Brown, the guy who I referenced before, has a book called How to Fix Your Credit. Mm-hmm. And I did a boot camp last year and I bought the book for all of my boot camp participants because he includes the letters, he includes the process, and it's a really informative book. But you send the first time they reach out to you, send a verification letter and ask them to verify that they have the right to collect this debt because some of them might not have the right to collect the debt and they have to cease collection activities at that moment and remove it from your credit report. And I've had people 
who just went ahead and paid because they assumed that the person, the com- company had the right to collect the debt. Mm-hmm. And they could have saved money and had it removed from the report and use that money to pay other debts down. Wow. So do not always assume that they're right. If they are harassing you, chances are they probably are and you can reach out to CFPB and report them for harassment. And lastly, you know, know that you can settle with them. I, I would say 90% of the time. There are very few who are like, no, I don't want what coins you can give to me right now. I want the full amount. Most of them just want some money on the debt. Fantastic. And listeners, I'm going to include a link to Dominic's book so that, and all of the links that Tanya has mentioned um, in her show notes so that you guys can access these resources and start to build that community. And so uh, one last thing that I want to talk about is, well, two things. One, what is your policy on credit cards? Because some people say, okay, you need one for emergencies. And then there are other people that are like, no, like credit is the devil. Like, don't touch it, pay it off, burn it and let it go. So what is, what is your policy on credit cards? Credit cards aren't for everyone. Credit cards are, can be a tool. I personally have them for my business, um, for some recurring payments. I also have them for when I travel because I don't want that $200 hole going on the money, you know, going, affecting the money that I have to use on my debit card or my bank account. Mm -hmm. So I use it for travel purposes. Um, credit cards are good for people who can be responsible and can responsibly use them. I've been able to, I just went on honeymoon to like last month, the top of last month. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I paid for our villa in Bali with my points. I had accrued from credit card usage. Hey, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. And so it can be used as a tool, but it is not the only tool to build your credit. And if you had issues with credit in the past and you haven't worked to um, address why you had issues in the with credit in the past, then they should be avoided. Okay, fantastic. And so one of the things that you have been lauded for is your approach to wealth building and investment. I know that some of us are kind of like, oh gosh, how can I even think about investing right now? I'm just so overwhelmed by my financial picture. But there are some things that you can do to start building wealth while you're getting out of debt. So can you speak to, to that? Yeah. So the first thing is that your job offers a 401k or any retirement planning plan and especially matching and you aren't taking advantage of that, you are missing out on free money. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say they want to learn how to invest, but they aren't taking advantage of that. And that is a form of investing. So making sure that you are utilizing your company's 401k services um, and taking advantage of that match if it is an option for you. Also, if your company has a stock purchasing option, that's something else. Find out what your employer offers as a first step to getting started in investing if you do not feel like you um, possess enough information or knowledge about investing to do it on your own. The second is find those resources. Um, one of, there's Clever Girl Finance. She breaks down investing very well for, for new investors. Dominique Broadway, she worked uh, with high network clients for a significant amount of time. And now she is doing a free investing challenge that is coming up. Look for those resources or free resources that are available to you to start investing. Another resource that a lot of people don't realize is that local nonprofits often have these investment boot camps that are backed by banks Mm. and they do a match. So I know here in Brooklyn, one of them is you have to have $750 to invest, but they'll match you $750 at the end of the program and teach you how to invest that money that you're going to get. 
That's a great way to get started. You don't have to pay anything for it. And they're matching your money significantly. So look into the local nonprofits to find out if they have any investment courses or opportunities or match programs. Lastly, if you just like, if you're like, none of this, I don't want to do any of this. I just want to work with a financial advisor. Ask around, um, pay attention online, see who's active online and ask others if they have a financial advisor that they use. I found my financial advisor um, through two of my Frugal Fab Five members, um, one Kara of Frugal Feminista, and she had been working with a gentleman for a significant amount of time and she was very happy about what he had done for her. And so that's who I utilize. Even as a financial educator, I know that I don't know enough about investing to kind of do it on my own. And I'm so focused on other things in my business that I haven't allocated the time to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's going to be the next phase of my journey is learning how to do it for myself. But until then, I have a reputable financial advisor who is managing my money for me. Fantastic. Tanya, tell everybody how they can get in contact with you, how they can become a part of your community, how they can access you and these resources that you have so generously laid down in this episode. Where can people find you? Yes. So uh, I'm Southern and I love giving away goodies. So I'm always giving away goodies and freebies and everything. I feel like God put me in this line of work to change lives and I will be taken care of as long as I'm doing it. So you can find me on myfabfinance.com. I'm available at myfabfinance on all social media networks and um, I manage my social media networks. I talk back to people, not, not, not talk back in a, in a bad way, but if right. you ask me a question, <laughs> I'm going to try to answer it because I, I just genuinely care about the work I'm doing and the people that I'm affecting. So um, you can always drop me an email, tanya at myfabfinance.com. I try to get back to all emails that I receive. And then the community is Banish the Balance. So you could go to Facebook and type in Banish the Balance. Uh, we have a website, banishthebalance.com. It was done as an email challenge, a uh, eight-week email challenge, but we're condensing it into a seven-day self-paced challenge. Um, so you can sign up for the wait list for when that will be reopened at banishthebalance.com. I think that's it for how people can um, contact me. Just think MyFab Finance and, you know, you'll be able to connect me on any one of those mediums. Thank you so much. Believers, I'm telling you, this is the episode that you need to share with your friends. Share with people that are are ready to start building wealth, to get out of debt, to shift this narrative of from scratch and surviving and struggling and suffering to one of empowerment and abundance and just letting go of, of these seasons of lack. And yes. the thing is, is that the money that you currently have, you have enough to get started. Okay, you may not be where you want to be, but you have enough to get started and the tools are absolutely out there. Tanya, thank you so much for being on the show today. And as always, believers, if you want, you can tweet us out at MyFabFinance at Dr. Shante Says and make sure that you guys tune in to the next episode in the Wealth Series. Thank you. Thank you for having me.